I think the internet ruined that term. (laughs) (laughs) Let me just Google that. Oh, no. We've seen it all before, so let's reload on a very special episode. Shows that suck and shows that float. Buckle up, buttercup, it's a bumpy road. Going deep inside the mainframe, secret code. Some of this shit stinks, some of it's gold. It's ABC, featuring the VIPs of SBT. Austin G and Dr. DB, with our AT&C money. Weird TV is their specialty They might be all four, just one, two, or three Cause they're old and kinda busy So go get ready and take a peek So set your phases to download A rarity that we had bestowed Special moments no one would I show Open your body holes cause you're gonna get told Grab yourself a drink and let's unload In a very special episode Hello and Merry Thanksgiving And welcome to a very special episode podcast where we review shows about the relationship of Native American tribes and the U.S. government within the murder capital of the world. I'm David Bittenhofer, and with me is the person who would sell their credentials for $50,000. Austin (laughs) Gordon. We're ready. We're ready to stock our options, David. (laughs) Who needs credibility? Is that what For the record, $50,000 is not the only price I would take. (laughs) You could go lower. I'm not sure I have tangible accreditation, so I have a little bit of street cred, and that is cheap, 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 fitting more for Austin and I's credibility. Go ahead. All right, so who wants it? Austin, say your name. Austin Gorton. Okay, and the person who would throw spears at the mayor? Ooh, Carolyn Maine. I should have waited. Hey, either one fun. of us would have taken that one. I'm not sure who our mayor is, but I'm pretty sure I don't like him. <laughs> but you know, you throw a spear for fifty thousand dollars. You throw a spear at him at least right? for even for less, dear listeners. <laughs> now, no promises on how good my spear throwing is. <laughs> I know, I know. this guy. This guy was an expert, but I very he's got good. magic powers. I think, but uh, we'll get to that. <laughs> Today we are reviewing murder. She wrote season four, <laughs> episode ten. Indian giver, a stereotypical (laughs) Native American, (laughs) throws a spear at the mayor of Cabot Cove during their town celebration. Attached to said spear is a land grant stating the town actually belongs to the Algonquin. Tempers amongst the town folk flare at the prospect of losing their homes. Then, a dead body is found in the middle of town hall, impaled by a spear. Who could have committed such a heinous act? Only this this small town's geriatric murder mystery author can get to the bottom of it. <laughs> I love how Jessica involved, Fletcher. right? How involved she is. She, they just put her on a committee in this one. They're like, bitch, do you think? <laughs> yeah, I know. She's just, yeah, they just all like go to her anyways. And like, she's just like a author, right? Like, I just can't imagine like. Stephen King and whatever small town <laughs> right. in he is, like them just always going to him anytime there's a problem within town. Like, so th- hey, th- Bob's having trouble with his car. Let's go to Stephen King. <laughs> this is where I'll I'll jump out ahead a little bit and ex- uh-huh. express my lack of familiarity with the nuances of murder. She wrote, uh-huh. um, 
like, is this just how it always, like, she just moved to this town and then everyone was like, well, you're famous and you write mysteries, so mm-hmm. get involved in all of our business. I feel, I, I, I well, we can, <laughs> we'll get into our relationship. I feel like I don't have the greatest relationship with the show either, so I feel, but my interpretation is she's just kind of a fixture of the town, like, yeah. Growing up, I don't know if she actually moved there. Right. Then... It seems like Castleton Cove is a lot of people who've already been there. I know that's not the name of yeah. it, but I call it that. <laughs> I'm going to be calling it yeah, that. Yeah, it's just like, you know, that's where she's lived all her life. So she's kind of a fixture, but she also became kind of a famous author. And I don't know how much of her continually solving these murders that are happening in this town also... Gives her some cred that she's just somebody who can get to the bottom That's of true. things. That's true. I mean, once you get two or three of those under your belt, now, you, <laughs> yeah. now you're no longer riding on your famous author reputation. You have like yeah. a legitimate CV there that they can uh, look to. Uh, Lauren was looking into some of this because we watched it together. And apparently, and it might have been through this season, I got no idea, she became like... Uh, a person in Congress, like a representative, Whoa. because like... They're represented, I don't know if it's state or federal, but like basically the representative died, I guess, probably in a murder mystery. And then like she replaced that person or something. <laughs> I, wonder, wow. I wonder if it was, <laughs> I want it to be where in his will, he stipulates yeah. that the person who solves his murder gets to fill his position in Congress. <laughs> we should all put that in our wills, guys. That's great. That's mm-hmm. I know. I like it. We, we don't have good credentials. Yeah. But. <laughs> it, it's sounding, Austin, like you don't have much of a relationship with this show. Uh, I do not. This is the first yeah. episode of it I've ever seen. Wow. Um, but but given that, I, this is one of those shows that I feel like you just you pick things up through cultural osmosis. Yeah. Uh, like, so, I mean, I know the premise. I know when David made his comment about it being the murder capital of the world, like I get that joke, despite the fact that I've never mm-hmm. seen an episode of murder. She wrote. Um, so mm-hmm. yeah, it's, I, I have more familiarity with it than I would other shows that I've never seen a single episode of. But like I said, I don't know all the, like the nuances and like, I like of the people in this, how many nuances you really, that's true. Know, well, I mean like very, of, you know. of the characters that were in this episode there was a couple that were obviously like okay this is the only time they're on this you know on the show yeah yeah. but there's also a few like the mayor i'm like is that the mayor in every episode of every season i don't know maybe i want to say i mean i well pretty sure i'm only saying yes because i think so like i don't know i mean really i can we can get the gruel orphans on it. Yeah, and it's uh, I, I didn't. Yeah, it's not that big. My point just being that, like, I know Jessica Fletcher. I know that she's a writer. She solves mysteries. She lives in this cute little town, and it's kind of funny because people keep dying in the cute little town. That's pretty much it. The mayor shows up as an, according to the gruel orphans, and I got to them where I was like Elon Musk on them and made them go hardcore right away to get this information. <laughs> go hardcore, hardcore or quit. Well, it's interesting because this is actually the only the second episode he's the mayor has appeared on, mm-hmm. but he's been the mayor four. in every episode. Okay. But only in like uh, eight episodes, so it's kind of. But throughout the entire seasons, so it's kind of weird. I, I guess we don't go all the way to the top of Castleton Cove politics that often. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, this one we, we do. 
We're um, going back to her uh, Manchurian candidate roots, mm. getting all the way to the top. Um, yeah, a- Angela yeah. Lansbury, meanwhile, I'm quite familiar with. She's a national right. goddamn treasure. Right. She's and a teapot. Was. She's Was. Yes. Right. R.I.P. <laughs> she was a teapot. She, she will always be a teapot, David. <laughs> she was she was a teapot. She was a uh, uh, poor man's Mary Poppins in a movie as a kid. I liked a fair sight oh, ben better Nobs than Mary Poppins. Broomsticks. Uh-huh. There's some really great mix of animation with live action in that, and they fight sorry, Nazis. They, they fight Nazis with animated suits of armors. How yeah. is that not better than chimney sweep dancers for your climax, people? <laughs> it is better. I want to be clear. Mary Poppins is great, but when you're like 10, the suits of armor fighting Nazis is the superior climax to a film. And we have more longer animations in bed knobs yeah. than Poppins. Yeah, because they had done more of it. And, and yeah, she yeah. was the uh, she was in the original Manchurian Candidate, which is yeah. like a fun thing to go back and watch when you know her as the teapot and the witch mm-hmm. in bed knobs and broomsticks. She's always the good girl. She was, well, she was involved in murders as well in Sweeney Todd. She... Played oh, Helena yeah. Bomina Carter on Broadway yeah. or whatever British Broadway is. She's <laughs> West a real. End? I don't know. <laughs> She's a real singer. Yeah. She, uh, interestingly enough, also involving murder. I believe she moved her family from LA back to Maryland, England during the 70s because her daughter was getting involved with the Manson clan. Oh, yeah. IRL. Yeah, Nip that a, shit in the bud. Right? She did, and it was probably a good call because he was a very attractive nuisance to wealthy mm. youths. So yeah, she's she's very interesting. She's been all over. She's a real talent, and she also play is really fun to go back and look when she was a dishy broad in like early movies because you can see her skin. Ooh, I I remember for whatever you know, one of the first time I looked her up on Wikipedia for whatever reason, they have like a picture of her in her youth. Yeah. And I was just like, oh, damn, Angela Lansbury. <laughs> she could really get it. Revving my engine. <laughs> yeah. She you, does. She could get it. She can write my murder, if you know what I mean. Uh, oh, and she also <laughs> would get, like, scantily clad well into her age, too. Like, there's this epic Angela Lansbury elderly exercise video cassette. And she, like, goes oh, yeah. into a bubble bath. And it's, like, candlelight. <laughs> Is that elderly exercise bathing? Yeah, yes. <laughs> Look, we reach a certain age. Getting in and out of that tub takes some doing, David. That age is forty. You can do it vigorously yeah. enough. Uh, um, Carolyn, what's your relationship with the show? I probably am the expert here, although I'm no super uh, expert. I've watched, you know, a handful. I'll pick up these and what should be her counterpart in our hearts, Columbo. Because oh, I'm a, yeah, found, a fan of the genre and all this cozy core murder mystery solving. Mm-hmm. You want her and Columbo to have a crossover, but I don't think they do. But I do believe there is a murder she wrote, Magnum P.I. crossover. Oh, yeah. And she he kind of hits on her, Magnum or something. Or no, it's more like she's going to do it with Higgins. So anyways, check that out, listeners. (laughs) um, I've checked out a couple of these. I definitely remember when it was on CBS for like 10 years and I was a kid. And I'm like, that's old lady shit. But now I'm like, ooh, old lady shit. (laughs) Very fun to check out. She has a lot of stars, cameos. Apparently, she would pick uh, actors who were about to lose their SAG cards. So she gave them insurance re-ups specifically a lot oh, to play cool. these yeah she's, she's a really cool lady she did a lot of cool shit she 
She's a great lady, and these are always really fun, and it does seem like a suspicious amount of murders happen there. <laughs> and I think when one particular, I forget his name, who cares, CEO of CBS got hired to helm the ship, he's like, cut this immediately because I'm sick of this old lady shit. But um, it endures, like Austin mentioned. This is a cultural touchstone. We all know about it. Kudos to you, David, for finally getting us here. What's your relationship like with Mrs. Jessica Fletcher? <laughs> well, my parents loved this show. Yes, it's for your so. parents. Yes. <laughs> I can totally see how, like, I can, like, the parts of this show that appeal to each of your parents that makes it, like, uh-huh. the perfect show for them to watch. They like, probably had a nice good. night together after they would watch this. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Pretty sure they did. But uh, because my dad loves mysteries in general, right? He loves the mystery, so he like I know of Columbo because my dad would watch a lot of Columbo too. Oh right? yeah, like, he so. would. <laughs> so I so I watched sometimes when I was. It's not like I objected to it as a kid if my parents were watching it, but I didn't like seek it out either if I was just on my own. And I have like a odd so respect for the show just. And I don't know how true this is, but in my mind, writing a mystery every week just seems like it'd be really difficult and they seem to be able to do it. How good these mysteries are all the time is questionable, <laughs> but the fact that they can write like a murder mystery for like, you know, 24 episodes a year seemed impressive to me and still does, I'll put it that way. And I, so it's not, so I saw some and then even recently if it's on syndication i've turned it on and it's a show definitely because just by the nature of it being a murder mystery if you watch like the first scene then you're already kind of like well now i gotta figure out how this all ends so then you're just hooked because you want to know how the murder ends and it's always you get the weird because they're in cabot cove or not but it's always lighthearted despite the death, all this death that's involved. Right. And everyone seems a bit like all right with these murders when you're like, I feel like this should be a pretty big deal that these people are dying. But everyone's just like, eh, someone died. Let's figure out who did it and then have a laugh at the end. So, right. Let's have some coffee and cupcakes. It's yeah, exactly. cozy core is the genre. <laughs> it's, it's like the example. So, you know, so I liked it. I li- And I do like it, but it's not like, Something I, you know, that obviously has its flaws too, but you know, it's, it's fun enough to watch an episode. So, so I know, so I've watched episodes, but to any sort of like continuity or through line, I got no idea about like w- any stages of Jessica Fletcher's life in any way, if there are any in the show. I, I didn't know, know she anymore. becomes a politician at some point, she becomes a professor, <laughs> yeah. and they do more and more plots away from Castleton Cove. Yeah, I think they, uh, I feel like the writers finally realize that there's a lot of death happening in this one sleepy <laughs> town in Maine. Or you know. are they in Massachusetts? Or I don't know. Where they finally they? killed the last one of them. So. Yeah, exactly. I couldn't piece together where they were based on um, anything in this episode, but I pegged it as vaguely New England. So yeah, Massachusetts. Yes, yeah. Yeah. Part, part of that is the fact that the mayor sounds like a watered-down Kennedy, but yeah. Oh yeah, they, they're they're heavy on the East Coast accents in it's, this episode. It's coastal, that's for sure. It's got yeah, trees, yeah. it's quaint, it's twee. She gets to ride a bike, so a little bit of infrastructure, very nice. Yeah, <laughs> I have some thoughts yeah. on that bike. <laughs> we'll get there. Well, there's actually a reason for. It. I don't know. We can get there, but just remind. Is she me a drunk? A reason? No, oh, I don't rule it out. 
Uh, it's a Maine town, according to the group of orphans. Okay. That, that tracks. Small town in Maine with a lot of murders, and I think at some point the writers are like, maybe we should have her move around and have murders in other cities so it doesn't seem like everyone has bloodlust in this uh, small town. Everyone's confused. They keep talking about murders in New York and mm, yeah. L.A., and it's like, Maine! Maine is the deadliest place yeah, on Earth! Yeah, go with Maine! Uh, so we can get into the episode, but I guess before every episode, before the opening credits, they just like show you what's in store with some quick clips of the episode beforehand. Seriously, I love it. I'm like, does anything speak to the episodic nature and Mm -hmm. of its timeness than the fact that like it doesn't have a previously on it has a here's what you're about to watch. Yeah, what the hell was the point of that yeah i I don't i guess it's their way of trying to like get people they think it's gonna hook people i guess right i guess but i feel like like as a like i understand the purpose of a commercial like you're uh, you know a trailer a sneak peek what have you but like it's the beginning of the episode the person's pot committed at this point they've stopped the channel on (laughs) on the murder she wrote like you've got them at this point but it might be like it, but it's after the CBS, you know, football game. So they just have to like, uh, you know, <laughs> before you get to the remote, flash what they're gonna see, and somehow these like bunch together clips of scenes is gonna, they're gonna be like, oh, well, now I got to figure out what happens with those Native American guys. You're like, they're like, you know, you just watched football players adorned with Native American stereotypes beat each other up. <laughs> Here's another Native American stereotype throwing yeah, a spear. Exactly. Don't change that yeah. dial. Okay, mm-hmm. that's a good Thanksgiving. I was just going to say, I mean, part of, so the reason I chose this episode was A, because R.I.P. Angela Lansbury, she has recently passed. I mean, it was about a month ago now, right? But I think a long time, like a year, but time doesn't <laughs> No, it hasn't happen. been a year. Really? <laughs> no, no. I guess that was Betty White. She was like last New Year's. October 11th, so a little over a month ago. Oh, yeah. that's it. Okay, okay. I want to say three years ago... Uh, my wife and I were watching, it might have been the Tonys, and then I mentioned how you know, I was like, oh, R.I.P. Angela Lansbury, and she's like, she's not dead. I'm like, I think she's dead, and she's like, she's not dead. <laughs> and I'm like, pretty sure I remember her dying, right. and then they like showed her on the screen like five minutes later, and I'm like, I guess she's alive. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure a lot of people felt that way. She got good and old. She was good and old in Castleton Cove in 1997. Yeah. Right. yeah. Almost hit a hundred. She was born oh, in eighteen twenty-five. Wow. wow, good for you, lady. She was, yeah. she's cool. So, anyways, first of all, R.I.P. Angela Ansbury. And then I thought, well, this episode seemed like it could be Thanksgiving adjacent, and I guess it is, but it really doesn't have anything to do specifically with Thanksgiving. Yeah, that was going to be my question. Was was you know you, you were aware that this was not a Thanksgiving episode uh, when you selected it, more so than Ryan was aware that Small Wonder <laughs> was a Christmas episode. I guess I can tell you the few things I know is yeah, they, I saw the description of the episode. And then I feel like it was under a list of like Thanksgiving episodes. And then I'm like, eh, maybe, maybe not. We'll see. But also I did look up and this did come out like on the 20th of November. Right. So it's almost like their Thanksgiving episode, even though the episode doesn't specifically say Thanksgiving, which. Yeah. And I, I mean, you could squint and be like, oh, this is all about how we ripped off the Indians. That's Thanksgiving. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, but yeah, they they don't. There's no actual Thanksgiving like feast or celebration or mention of it, right? Uh, right. 
Anyway, so we go to the opening credits and we get the theme song, and I feel like the theme song is pretty catchy. A little, it's a catchy little jaunt. It is a um, it is a catchy theme song, the second most of its time thing about the beginning of this episode is the fact that like it's just third the the opening credits the first thirty seconds is just her doing old lady stuff yeah <laughs> like in soft focus and using a typewriter periodically using right. it but it's like like we've lamented plenty about the death of the TV theme song. Mm-hmm. And, and the way that, you know, at the turn of the century, TV executives were like, wait, if we have a 90 second opening every week, we could sell two more commercials and just have 30 seconds of like music. Let's do mm. that. Why did it take them that long to figure that out? <laughs> that like, and, I, and I'm not even saying that like, like cut the 90 seconds to a minute and sell an extra commercial and still what did the 30 seconds of her like gardening gain anyone (laughs) in this opening credit i don't know i'm Uh, i'm surprised it took them that long i feel like there's a lot of factors that play with this opening which is first of all it's just kind of like what you did at the show is you had like these opening credits right But normally, for most shows, there's the opening credits, which then show like all the characters and the actors' names for all these characters, right. and, right? and they like, go through. I miss that. We should still have yeah, that. Yeah. But then I think this show comes, and I feel like they were like, "There's literally only one recurring character in this entire series." <laughs> right. So they, so they're like, "Well, every show does like the 90 second intro, so we have to do that." But there's only one person's name we're going to put on this. It's starring only one person. And so then they have to, like, just have an entire 90-second opening credit that's dedicated to Angela Lansbury. And, like, how much shit can you put on it? So you have her gardening and riding a bike and stuff, too. You know? It's as riveting as the coming up on, you know? It's like, ooh, gardening. Ooh, a bath. Ooh, walking. Yes. No, it's so attractive, cozy core. It, like, makes you want tea and a quilt. And just to sit down and imagine retiring and murdering your town. It's beautiful. <laughs> I'm hooked immediately. Uh, anyway. So then we get into the uh, episode. And the first thing we see, like, the sweeping shot of, like, a cliff overlooking the town. <laughs> and on it is a man completely decked out in, like, stereotypical Native American garb <laughs> with a headdress and, like, the leather vest. And, he, and, and he's... Of dark skin and on a horseback and with like war paint on. And I, me not being a Native American expert, uh, have no idea how traditional or true to them it is, <laughs> but I have my suspicions. I'll put it that way. Uh, where, where, where do you feel this a- falls on the Chief Henry scale? <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
this specifically part, this specific part is pretty high. Pretty yeah. Pretty high. We, we sh- it shouldn't be the Chief Henry scale. It should be the Running Zach scale. Yeah, like, exactly. Because like Chief Henry just was like a normal dude who wore a Dodgers cap. Uh, it's it's the it's the outfit that Zach dons that we should judge this off of. Yeah, this is where we were all concerned that David picked an insensitive episode, and we'd have to. Yeah, this is. I mean, the, the title of it tipped me off, but this is oh, where yeah. I'm like, is David trying to get us canceled so we don't yeah. have to do this show anymore? Are you trying to outdo my antique twins lynching episode, David? <laughs> I mean... I don't. I wasn't sure what I was in store for. Honestly, <laughs> we'll talk about it in the end. It wasn't as bad as I thought it might end up being. Foiled again. Not that it was great. And they do use, well, uh, the term Indian a lot. And I don't even know what the proper term is these days. Like, I'll probably say Native American for most of it, though I have heard that, like, American Indian is all right now. Yeah, or First yeah. Nation I, I don't is the know. other one that I've heard. Yeah. But I don't, yeah, I mean, obviously I'm sensitive. I knew more, I'd use whatever term is the most appropriate, but I'm not sure. I did look up, apparently this actor is actually of like India descent. Yeah, South, Southeast Asian. Oh, yeah, yeah. oops. Yeah, I, rec- I recognized <laughs> him. I recognized him from a couple of things, minor things, yeah. but he was, um, he was in the third Matrix movie and, uh, popped up in the second Captain America movie. Wow. Really? Who is he in the second Captain America movie? Uh, he's one of the the security council guys that shows up at the end when Robert Redford like holds them all hostage. Oh, and yeah, yeah. one of them is disguised as, as ScarJo. He's one of the guys mm-hmm. there. Along with, um, he's in that same group with the guy that played Charles Widmore on Lost. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, so he is Indian, but he's not Indian. Yeah, it's different, Indian. <laughs> different <laughs> yeah, continent exactly. Indian. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's closer than the Italian who cried for litter, I mean, but not that close. <laughs> I mean, in the one way, that's a yikes. On another, at that period in time, you could totally see someone just doing brown face, right? Like, <laughs> definitely. Yeah, this is this is eighty seven, yeah. and you'd hope they'd. Well, I mean, they. This show at least seemingly knew better than to do brown face and yeah, at least yeah, I mean short circuit didn't, but you know. Right. right. That's right. the other Indian. Just a guy. Just <laughs> <laughs> a white dude. Mm. Um so then we go to Cabot Cove where there's a town celebration going on. I think about the founding of the town, like yeah. an anniversary. Founders Day. Yeah. This is where I wrote David, we're celebrating Thanksgiving, not Founders Day. Yeah, I know. I, hey, <laughs> take what you can get. <laughs> and uh, Je- the, so there's a stage where people are saying Jessica Fletcher's, of course, on the stage too, as like I don't know, being celebrated, or I don't know what she's doing on it's like, on the stage with these people. So it's it's the it's like mayor, the mayor, yeah. the sheriff, the, Tom mm-hmm. Bosley, who I think is the town doctor? Question mark. Yeah. Um, and then Jessica Fletcher. So it's like, is that the, that's like the Illuminati of this town? That's their <laughs> like executive mm. council. Is yeah, is yeah, yeah. <laughs> a doctor, a sheriff, the mayor, and the famous author. Well, Tom Bosley's <laughs> the sheriff. Oh yeah, that's right. That's right. It's the other guy who I think is the doctor. Yeah, is William Wyndham, I guess. Yeah. How many episodes is he in? He seemed like a regular. Yeah, he did, but now I'm always suspicious of this stuff, so we'll find out here. Uh, 53 episodes. Oh, okay. So. He's in, I mean, he's in it more than Tom Bosley. Yeah. 
Uh, so yeah, so they're just on stage as like the guests of honor or something or the speakers and why Jessica Fletcher's there, we don't know. But before really anything, well, they're singing America the Beautiful, I think, and then it gets all interrupted by kids pointing to the Native American on horseback riding into town with a spear in hand and then very expertly like chucks the spear through the air and like as a dart it just immediately impales itself on the podium that the mayor is at i mean that was some impressive spear throwing so i wonder i I wonder how much time this guy spent practicing that because he had to yeah exactly like i mean exactly well yeah or the show is just saying that that's just like an innate ability of all (laughs) of all descendants of of native american ancestry Mm-hmm. I straight up love those kids though. Like just the, like <laughs> it was like two people out of the little rascals that come running from around the corner. They're like, look what's coming. Look what's coming. Yeah, and then yeah. he comes right. <laughs> so like they had to have been running faster than the horse somehow. Like, it was just, I loved it. Yeah, it was yeah. great. <laughs> I want, I want two little, little rascals to run around in front of me, heralding everything I'm doing. You have some Austin. I guess we don't really learn where this guy gets the horse or leaves the horse after this or anything. Are there like horses for rent or something? (laughs) I'm sure there are like scenic beachside horses or something, but I'm glad the horse didn't get pulled into the drama or (laughs) murder. Horses are very like uh, Switzerland. They always stay neutral in the (laughs) and they're expensive. So we stopped shooting this horse pretty much. Exactly. Well, yeah, that's also true. Um, yep, so he throws the spear at the podium, and then I think, of course, it's Jessica Fletcher who first notices there's a note attached to the spear. So she unfurls that, and it seems to be some sort of land grant to the city. And, uh, that's how that scene ends, I think, is she's just like, this could be problems, I guess. I, I, have, a, I have a lot of questions about <laughs> how... <laughs> this show thinks land ownership works but then that <laughs> also got me and then that got me thinking about maybe i just have a lot of questions about how land ownership works in general yeah exactly but then i think i have a lot of questions on how this show actually thinks the american government would interpret land ownership when it comes to the native american tribe. right and i'm pretty sure the answer to that question is in whatever way benefits the white man <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Historically speaking. But then there's another wrinkle to this land grant we'll get to, which he talks about later, and we'll get to that, which then I think like completely invalidates it to start. Whether it should or not is a different question, but anyways. Uh, we're in a car and with the city Dr. Sam, who's uh, that other guy, and the mayor and the sheriff, and they're going to the hill... Because the grant, I think, has to deal with what you can see from that hill. And what we've learned is that it's basically this land grant says the city of uh, Cabot Cove belongs to the Algonquin. And the mayor thinks it's a fake because it's obviously a copy. And then the sheriff has to break it to the mayor that uh, the guy probably wouldn't give you the real land grant. It is to be a land grant, Sam. It's hogwash. Look at this thing. It's run off on a copying machine. Well, you could hardly expect him to give up the original now, could you? The mayor does not cover himself in glory in this episode at all. He seems to be like an (laughs) idiot, which probably rings true of most mayors. He's not as smart as Jessica. Mm-hmm. Although the sheriff isn't that smart either, because he's like, "Oh, I put out an APB on this guy," and then the doctor's like, "Well, he's probably not still dressed up in his uh, war paint." And then the sheriff's like, "Oh, oh yeah, that fellow on horseback may have been a tad 
theatrical, but uh, he seemed quite determined to me. Yeah, well, I put out an APB on him. As soon as we pick him up, maybe we'll get some answers. He won't be running around in that war paint still, Amos. No, well, it's like, that's absolute, like, of course he's not, but it's the fact that the sheriff yeah. is like, oh, <laughs> yeah, I know. He's like, oh, good point. I never considered yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They're still searching for him on horseback, just riding through town, apparently. Right. So then the mayor is like, we need to figure this out. What's going on with this land grant? So who do you turn to in times of crises? <laughs> but the town doctor and Jessica Fletcher, the uh, <laughs> murder author, they're going to figure out the legalese to this uh, land grant. I'd be curious to go back into the genesis of this show and be like, did they partner her up with a doctor in a nod to like Holmes and Watson or yeah, maybe. or was it just like out of narrative necessity that like they needed someone who knew medicine because that comes up a lot in murders? I don't know. Yeah, I know. I mean, this show always to me was an homage to Miss Marple. Right, right. And that, but I don't. She never had any partner of any sort. I don't sort, think though, so. I'm not. I'm. I'm least familiar with Miss Marple of the of the great literary detectives. But I don't think she had a partner. I mean, Hercule Poirot didn't have a partner. That was. I read a, one or two Miss Marple stories. Yeah, yeah, that wasn't really Christie's bag. The the partner dynamic. Anyways, uh, yeah, and I don't know. I don't know if the writers think this makes sense or they're like, we just need Jessica Fletcher and everything. So whatever, yeah, let's just right. power through it. Right. Like the mayor's going to appoint her a part of the get to the bottom of a land grant. Thing. Yeah. I mean, frankly, kudos to them the for like taking the time to have the mayor say that instead of just being like, yeah. she's the star of the show. Of course, she's investigating uh-huh. this. What do you people want? She owns this town. Everyone is so scared of her. They put her on the podium. They let her investigate whatever murder she wants. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, the police are very un- concerned about uh, crime scene integrity, that's for sure. And they just <laughs> let her and the doctor do whatever the hell they want. But uh, we'll get there. If you have enough mortgages, you get to go to any meeting. And if you're a cute enough <laughs> author, you get to do whatever the fuck you want. And I really want to retire to Castleton Cove. No. <laughs> <laughs> so we go to, like, I think it's a library or a school or something. But uh, Miss Fletcher and the doctor talk with Donna Crenshaw. And they discuss how this, quote, Indian has a flair for the dramatic. And then Jessica notes that he really knows how to capture the media's attention, which I guess is a point to the fact that they don't think, like, Native Americans always act and dress this way. But this was, like, an intentional stunt by this guy. Right. Which just clears the bar of complete racism, I guess. (laughs) Not completely racist. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but they're actually there to talk to Donna's father, Harold Crenshaw, because he's like an expert in history and Native American history, maybe. And so they want him to verify this grant. And he shows up and he says, yeah, he thinks it's right, but he needs to see the original, which they don't have. So how are they going to figure that out? So then Jessica decides that a town meeting is in order because if the guy has a flair for the dramatic, he won't be able to resist the spotlight of a town meeting and making a big scene there. And of course, she's right because she's always right. Town meetings, the biggest, funnest thing for theater kids, definitely. (laughs) Has any of us ever been to a town hall meeting? Well, I go to my neighborhood town hall meetings. Now my neighborhood has those and it's like three doors over and very specific. So yes, but only just recently. Yeah, that's good. I think I went to 
school board meetings, maybe in high oh. school, yeah, as part of the like student advisory board thing. That's kind of a town meeting. I don't know. The whole town, though, like that's so much stuff. Now we're we live in the suburbs, but maybe they're still big enough that like the idea the, of like getting the entire town together just yeah, isn't really yeah. realistic or feasible. When it's like we have like you have like a city council, so it'd be like you don't go to a like we don't call them town halls. It's a you go to a city council meeting. Yeah, there there are city council meetings that you could go to and bore town, yourself to death. Yeah, town hall has a like little house on the prairie vibe to it, but yeah, maybe in maybe in smaller towns that's just how they do it. So uh, we go to this town hall, and outside the mayor is talking to the large contingency of Cabot Cove reporters that exist, <laughs> and. Uh, the only thing they have more <laughs> of reporters is murders. <laughs> I mean, but uh, I don't. I think there, there's correlation there, right? That's right, true. Right, That's right. True. Like if you're a budding, if you're a budding reporter looking for a scoop, yeah. wouldn't you go to the murder capital of the U.S. and yeah, exactly. see what happens? Yeah. And so, uh, but he's telling that like they want to be in on the town hall, and he won't let them in. Like none of them are smart enough just to like walk in. I guess you know, yeah, yeah. but he won't let them in because he wants the townspeople to be able to speak freely of their racism, and he doesn't. You know, they won't be able to if they think they're going to be on camera. So, you know. <laughs> Mayor, we're here to cover this story. Cover all you want, boys, but nobody goes inside. Now, folks got the right to say their piece, and they'll say it a lot freer without you fellas writing it all down. Uh, jokes on him, as social media has taught us, being being recorded and speaking your racism yeah. in public won't stop anyone. Yeah, it just helps your career. Um, <laughs> uh, so then outside, we pan over to Harris out. Atwater, who seems to be like a real estate developer for a company or something, and he's talking with Edmund, Mr. Edmonds, who's the banker who owns all the mortgage is in town. And so Atwater wants to build, Edmonds has the mortgages, and they're both very nervous about this land grant because it'd blow both of their business of their plans up if suddenly the land doesn't belong to who they think it belongs to. Won't somebody mm-hmm. think of the real estate agent? <laughs> Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> They're the you real victims are here. very concerned about what will happen if, you know, we actually hold true to our agreements with the native. Right? He's the bad guy. He did the murder. The end. <laughs> uh, we kind of wish. But uh, so then Addison Langley shows up, who's just kind of one of the common folk. But he talks with Atwater to talk about the water property. So Atwater would be the uh, real estate developer. And he wants to talk to him about the waterfront property he owns, expecting to get money. And this guy's like, well, if uh, this Native American guy owns it, then it doesn't even matter. And it doesn't help you or I any. And at this, so this kind of upsets Addison. But then his wife, Heather, tells him, like, calm down, let's go inside. But then he just starts mouthing off to her, being like, you don't tell me what to do. I'm the man in this relationship. And then Helen's brother, Tom, shows up to give Addison a mouthful about treating his wife better. And and his wife is Tom's sister. This is a lot of information, but this whole scene is just about setting up all the uh, pawns on the chessboard of who might be uh, doing what and for what reason, right? For no reason, David. No reason. (laughs) Also, Addison is clearly and comically drunk in this scene. Yes. <laughs> and uh, 
So then they all enter the town hall, and then at the end, we see a man with darker skin in a suit uh, walk into the town hall as well. I wonder who he could be. Who could this dark-skinned man among this waves of white <laughs> right. skins be? It's a good thing. only not white person. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a good thing the sheriff's APB was all about his uh, leather jerkin and feathered yeah. headdress. <laughs> So that he could uh, <laughs> he could blend in amongst the town folks. Otherwise, and, and no one seems to take note of him as he enters the town hall. Is he on a horse, thing, David? Like, Does he have a spear yeah, <laughs> that he couldn't possibly be that Indian from the beginning of the episode? Uh, so inside, we have the town folks who are demanding to know who this quote half naked savage is. Yeah, yeah, that's good. I mean. <laughs> We can talk about it, but, I mean, there's some racisms uh, thrown about in this episode, but none of them are particularly framed in a great light, so I guess that's something, right? Like, right. like the people who are throwing this are generally Bumpkins. framed as not being on the up-and-up or bad people, kind right. of, basically, or at right. least ignorant racists, so... But yeah. it is allowed, unfettered in the town. No one's like, don't say that. Yeah, yeah, there's not really a lot of pushback to it. Right. It's expected, I guess. Yeah, I know. Like these, the people who are throwing the racisms aren't framed by the show very well. But then the quote non-racist other townsfolk don't cover themselves in glory by like defending the natives or like yeah beating it back down. Yeah, they're 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 less objecting to the racism than they are to the violation of Robert's rules of order at this town hall. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly, and. uh and then the sheriff is like, we're working on trying to find this guy, but they're all worried about losing their home and what this means. And I'm again, I'm like, well, the U.S. government's not going to let it happen. So don't worry. They're going to be like tribal rights. What are those? I like when the one guy, the mayor starts talking and he's like, hey, we came here to get some answers. No speeches and no pussyfooting. Uh, I suppose the first thing I ought to do is introduce a couple of people up here with me. Uh, Professor Harold Crenshaw and his daughter Donna. The uh, professor is an expert on Indian history. Wait a minute, Sam. What do we need an expert for? You saying this land grab business is for real? Uh, well... Look, Amos, yeah. we want to know who this half-naked savage in the war bonnet was. Well, we're working on it. Well, maybe I ought to work a little harder. Everything I got's tied up in my house. I don't know about the rest of you, but I didn't come here tonight for no speeches and no pussyfoot. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Well, then they're like, well, we got an expert. And they're like, we don't, what, what do we have experts for? And I'm like, oh, these are real Trumpy guys. Huh? Like, right. We don't need no experts for anything. What's going we on know how this... People don't say pussyfooting enough. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. I think we need to bring that back. That should be our, our motto. No pussyfooting. No, we only pussyfoot. I think the internet ruined that term. <laughs> <laughs> Let me just Google that. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> The flashlight that is in the ankle. Look at that. Um, <laughs> it's a simpler time. What I like about the land rights deal is wasn't it like a European who decreed that this is for the Indian ancestors? Yeah. We'll, we'll get there. We'll okay, get there. well, yes, I, I, have I think I have the same question. Historical you questions. It kind of seems like Castleton Cove is like royalist. <laughs> And they just will, or they're all British, which is maybe why Angela Lansbury is so successful there. Yeah, maybe. But we'll get. 
Or maybe they're royalists, but they, they don't have any ties to England, but she just has the accent, so they think she's royalty. They're like, oh, she must be the queen. She's very... I would like the queen, almost, if it was her. So, yeah, <laughs> well, how could you I get know, it. Right? She's great. Uh, so then uh, the... The, quote, Indian George Longbow reveals himself and he's like, how about we get answers from the person who knows? And they're like, yeah, well, you could have done this. I feel like he could have done this a lot of different ways that wouldn't have immediately caused anger. Now, his explanations later is that this is the only way to get people's attention. Maybe that's true. I don't know. But, Maybe uh, he's just sassy. That's okay, yeah, too. Yeah, exactly. But they also make him a bit of a hothead, which might be a racist racism from the show but i think they also just wanted this character to have an a- tempered to make him more of a suspect too. yeah so I don't know put a target on yeah, his exactly. back because he's in danger he's pissed off the whole town a couple times yeah exactly and he's not yeah he's not being uh he, he's not he's carrying a big stick here yeah he's, he's not <laughs> A big yeah. spear. Yeah, yes. a big spear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's not winning friends with this. He's being very aggressive and abrasive. <laughs> Anyways. How to win friends to and carry a big spear. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, so then this is where he gets up and he explains what's going on, that he has the original land grant, and he says that an Algonquin chief helped the British win a battle against the French. Yes. In exchange, the land was given to the Algonquin chief and the rightful owner of the land would be passed down to his descendants. Good evening. I hope you all will forgive the flamboyance of my earlier appearance, but I wanted to be certain that I had your attention. And I believe I got it. In 1758, an Algonquin chieftain named Manitoka helped the British win a major battle against the French. In appreciation, the British Governor General bestowed upon the chief and his descendants a grant of land which included all of the area which you now call Cabot Cove. To which I say, none of this has to do with the U.S., which I think just declared all the land that the British had their own. And I don't (laughs) think they give a shit if uh, those Britons, British, (laughs) gave the land to the natives, I think the American government would say, no, it's all ours. After the Revolutionary War, I think yes. it all just became, quote, legally uh, the U.S. Whether whether that's good, uh, right or just or not, I think that legally that's what would have be declared. So I think... America, bitch. Yeah. <laughs> they'd be like, yeah, they'd be like, that, that was fucking royal king shit. We're, we're a democracy now. Fuck the British. Fuck the French. Yeah. We're <laughs> exactly. America. Sorry, Native Americans. We're the next ones. We're the ones who did all the other stuff. And like, I feel like it's an own goal by this by the writers here where they could have easily made this like some sort of agreement between you know george washington or like a battle on the revolutionary war where right. you could make up like oh yeah the native americans helped them in the war and then george washington said this land is yours and that at least have some sort of legal basis or something you know but because yeah fuck britain we did the whole war that maybe would be <laughs> yeah. one of the last ones we do on our soil haha yeah <laughs> <laughs> lot on other souls we love doing that these days boom and there's a few others on ours too oh um, cool good (laughs) yeah so i guess yeah my no is i'm sympathetic to his cause but i don't think the u.s government would be is basically right i don't know why people would be worried about it uh jessica fletcher is like the one only one with the cool head around here and she's like well all right all right all right 
if what he says is true, what exactly does he want? And he just says he wants rent, and uh, that just gets the town folk all mad. Yeah, because for some reason, um, the the reason's racism. <laughs> paying paying money to the white banker that holds all the yeah, mortgages yeah, yeah. in the town is acceptable, but doing that mm. to a brown guy is suddenly like, oh no, he's trying to take our town. Yeah, well then Langley, Addison Langley, that drunkard from before, calls George a, quote, thieving redskin, which then gets George really upset. And I don't know why he gets so upset by that term, because the NFL's been telling me for years that it was a completely <laughs> benign term. So I don't know what, what George Longbow's problem is with Right, this. the Native Americans use it themselves and have no objections to it. And Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's always been... Like, uh, does this guy get mad at every... At every at every Washington football game? I just, I don't know. Obviously not. No, no one would object to that. And <laughs> right. Ugh. I mean, I guess two years ago they did change it. I guess the NFL finally admitted oh, in the year 2020. <laughs> wow. That, that maybe that term is not acceptable. But anyways, this causes George to get physical with uh, Addison and eventually it gets broken. You know, the scuffle gets broken up, but George tells Langley that... If he gets in his way, he'll end up dead. Let go of me. We'll just hold on. Take it easy. Let me go. I'll kill that heathen. Yeah, you come near me, you're the one who ends up dead. Not a great thing to say in Cabot Cove, I'll tell you that. <laughs> Certainly not in front of Jessica Fletcher. Something's about to pop off. Then George Longbow decrees that this is his town and they all better get used to it. And Jessica Fletcher looks upon all this in concern and hand, hand, rings her hands over this although frankly situation that's developing because she knows what happens when tempers flare in Cabot Cove that's if you saying. think about it if you were going to kill someone <laughs> and you were to announce it early enough in the circumstances around which you want to kill that person you could probably get away with it because whoever announces it in like the first third of the episode didn't actually do it <laughs> oh. in the end. Well, th- this is where like detective novels would make the worst detectives, right? Right, right. <laughs> where, where if you just based your detectiving off of like a not like murder, the, the mystery, way that you write like, a mystery, yeah, you'd be yeah. like, well, it's too obvious if for this person to do it, so it has to be somebody else to be like. <laughs> Maybe you should look up on uh, brush up on Occam's Razor, right? Right. (laughs) No, no, it probably is that person who declared that they were going to kill them and then ended up with blood on their hands the night of the murder. No, it can't be that person. There's there's (laughs) too much story left before we get to that. There's too much evidence. No way. No way. (laughs) And and I feel like that's a problem with some of these true crime podcasts, right? right. True crime, and people listen to it, and so they're always looking for the angle or like, yeah, it can't be this person because too obvious. I'm like, no, this was a true crime, so it probably is the obvious person, right? Right. Or like, oh, they're introducing this suspect too soon in the story, and you're like, yeah, but they're crafting a narrative out of it, but it's not a story; it's actual things that happen, right? Probably just who we think it is. In real life, murders can be very stupid. How stupid? Yeah, yeah. Yes, All exactly. the way, stupid. <laughs> yeah, completely. The, the stupidest, and it happened. They're like filming each other doing murders now. Like people mm. who murder, and it just goes up on TikTok, and then they're like, oh no, and this is something else. So. so, the next scene 
is at the mayor's office. George George Longbow seems a bit amused with himself that he's stirred up all this anger. Uh, the banker shows up to the mayor's office because he's interested in what's going on, and the mayor's like, ah, sure, you can be a part of this meeting too because I uh, money talks, I guess, right? Like, he probably donates to the mayor's campaign enough that he gets to be in on these like uh, official meetings. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he owns the town. He goes, does what he yeah, wants. I mean, yeah, basically, that's that seems to be the suggestion. Is that all? He owns all the mortgages, so he owns the town. I guess I don't know. Um. So then, George wants to introduce himself to Harold Crenshaw, the professor, who is the professor who's Donna's father. <laughs> but then it's revealed that Donna actually knows. George and nobody knew that they had previously known each other, but George says they did research together at a university, so that's... I guess it's more of a red herring than anything else, but that's a bit of a spoiler. So anyways... Well, it's just another reason to hate this guy. Yeah, I know. Like, what's he doing with his... With his kindly professor's daughter. He's doing research in libraries. He's using the Dewey Decimal System. (laughs) And they're different races, too, so this is pretty scandalous. Right. So so then uh, Longbow presents the original document that he has, and uh, Harold Crenshaw looks at it and pretty much says, yeah, it looks like it's real. And then Edmonds, the banker, gets super upset about this and now starts talking about suing George. And of course they're going to sue him. Like, <laughs> right, right. Like George is like, well, I have a law degree, so I'll see you in court. I'm like, you had to expect that people right. are going to, that the, the owners are going to sue if you're going to try to say you own the land, right? Like, this isn't going to be a peaceful acquisition. Yeah, it would be criminally <laughs> negligent of them not to, no matter how much mm. I might agree with George Longbow here. Like, you'd, you'd have to take this, like, we need the justice system to weigh in on this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and frankly, especially when we know that this was like a British agreement, like, yeah, uh, I yeah, don't think yeah. he'd probably win. But, um, yeah, then again, Jessica asked George, well, OK, if this is all true and you get the land, what do you want? And George Longbow says he wants half a percent of land value per year, which amounts to about two hundred dollars per household. And then the mayor is like, oh, that seems reasonable. And then the doctor's like, that's like saying and when you get mugged, it's OK, because they only got five dollars now. Uh- Assuming that your claim is legitimate, Mr. Longbow, uh, I did say, assuming, Norman. Just what is it that you want from us? Mrs. Fletcher, it's very simple, and it's also very fair. I intend to assess every Cabot Cove landowner one-half of one percent of value. The average resident will pay no more than $200 a year. That doesn't sound too unreasonable. Sort of like saying you were... Mug in an alley, but it's okay because the mugger only got five dollars. Which uh, I don't know. I mean, but the m- mugger doesn't have a right to that five dollars, and maybe this guy does. So I don't right, know. like I, I, I don't <laughs> like the scenario in the doctor's example, but yeah. at the same time, George Longbow's proposal seems nevertheless fair to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like right, uh, and you know, it's really going to gouge that. Real estate mogul, so that's yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah exactly. The per- yeah, when you talk about the land value, the guy who's going to put up the giant resort, that's probably going to be more than $200 a year, right? Right. Wah, wah, right. Wah, wah. They really don't spell out, but I guess his 
could be part of this. And then we go outside the mayor's office where there's just a bunch of townies hanging out <laughs> waiting for George Roots. Longbow to That's come. Rumble, rumble, rumble. <laughs> so then they start spitting some racisms at him, and so then he starts beating them up with a briefcase. Oh my god, I, you guys. I appreciate it. <laughs> did you watch, how closely did you watch the briefcase hit? Not when enough, you, I guess. Yeah, I guess, but... Was there some light showing? When George <laughs> swings the briefcase to hit the guy in the face, and the guy like sw- jerks his head back and like falls to the ground, mm. I don't know, three feet of space between the briefcase <laughs> and the guy's head, it is like the most obvious staged hit I have ever seen in television. It was glorious. <laughs> Just, I mean, you could have driven a truck through the space between the briefcase and the guy's head. George Longbow can, like, throw a spear, but then also, like, Jackie Chan people with a briefcase. I don't know. This guy is just he's like a hardened war machine of some sort. I want to watch a show with him about him. <laughs> yeah, just his adventures. Like him going town yeah. to town getting justice. Yeah, exactly. Justice for the natives and yeah. beating people up. And, uh, yeah, he could I, be like Walker, Texas Ranger, but for Native Americans. But cooler. Isn't that kind of how this show and a show on King of the Hill went? <laughs> oh, with um, Monsignor Martinez, the, oh, the right. Spanish priest. It was Spanish, not yeah. Native American. Still, though, Vaya, that's my picture. Dios. Welcome, Dios. <laughs> uh, Jessica, Miss Fletcher does get get mad a bit at the townsfolks, or at least give them a disapproving uh, cluck. Boys, <laughs> boys. like nothing ruffles her feathers like i give her credit like she is so even keeled it is just like Mm. "Hmm, my that serial killer took that young man's face clean off (laughs) i don't approve of that at all right where jessica raises an eyebrow is where a normal actor would like gape their mouth right like that eyebrow goes up and it just like devastates whoever's in the area right she could walk into a war crime bomb going off blood and guts plane crash and just be like hmm how distasteful (laughs) so then so as the scuffle's about to escalate donna the daughter of the professor shows up in a car and says george let's get out of here and he hops in the car and they drive off together who by the way donna has great poodle bangs (laughs) <laughs> she does yeah she's rocking some great 87 hair uh do you think any like disney finger action is happening in that car as they drive oh around? david mean... are, are you asking if they're lovers <laughs> uh we'll get there uh, <laughs> so then in the car donald donna and harold or donald that's their couple name i guess donald donald <laughs> Uh, they discussed that, you know, well, they did research together, but she feels betrayed because she didn't know it was about this. But he's like, he's like, it wasn't just about that. But I guess, yeah, I did know that I had this land grant. So I wanted to figure out my own ancestry. And he said he didn't want to tell her because then she'd be mad about it. And, uh, oh, no, this is Don and George Harold. That's the next thing. Sorry. Yeah. Donald would be the daughter, father, daughter. Anyways. <laughs> so this is George. But that's what they're talking about. And then I'm just confused at why she's mad at him. Like, she's like, if I knew you were going to do this, I wouldn't have helped you. But then she's kind of on board with what he's doing. I can't get a read on it. Right? It made sense why he omitted the truth with her and her (laughs) conflicted colonizer daughter feelings. Yeah. 
Like, I'm mad at your, you're doing this, but I do know that it would be justice for your people. But, you know, I'm white, so it might affect me, I think. That's my $200 you're going to take over yeah, Park exactly. Place every month, year. That's not so bad. And then he gets a bit, of, and then George gets on a bit of a tangent about how all the terrible things the U.S. did to him and it, it did to the native people. And Donald, look, my people have been bowing and scraping to the white man for centuries. And, and what did it ever get us? Indignation, humiliation, and reservations, not to mention several dozen diseases imported from Europe. It's all true. Yeah, I mean, they've got a right as a people to be mad, as well as other groups of people in this country. So, you know. Yeah. Whoops. <laughs> look, at, look at David quickly backpedaling to try to keep us uncanceled. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't, I mean. <laughs> We're uncanceled. We might not have that many listeners, guys. <laughs> now, technically, this is the Algonquin and not the Navajo, but I am reminded of uh, I recently, recently being in the past few years, learned about the Navajo and uranium mines, and you can look it up. But it's, uh-oh. it's yeah, not great, yeah, Bob. Yeah. No, no, the U.S. government not <laughs> shockingly did not cover themselves in glory in that one. When you use. <laughs> Native Americans as test subjects for radiation poisoning against their knowledge. So, yeah, yeah. But you know, whatever. Reparations are are just wokeism gone mad. I guess I don't know. <laughs> yes, in in an and, era literally in which the atomic bomb existed. Yeah, yeah. No, this was just like fifty years ago, right? You know, like people talk about, you know, oh, we took that land so long ago, or whatever, mm-hmm. and it's like we were still doing it in the atomic age. Yes, and, and refused to acknowledge it until about the 90s. Then they finally said, uh, maybe we should actually help these Navajo people out. Right. Ugh. Anyways, anyways, you can look up more of it if you'd like. I can get on a tangent. But uh, I'm just saying uh, perhaps some of this anger and the repercussions of what the U.S. government did to certain groups of people is still felt today. And uh, we should recognize that. Anyways, uh, this is all along with saying George is like, I think Donna also seems to be concerned for George's well-being because these people are very mad at him. And he's like, that's why I'm staying at a motel outside of town that nobody knows where. But I'm also questioning how many motels outside of <laughs> right outside of Gabbard Cove there are. It I feel, feels uh, like this isn't the kind of town you could easily disappear <laughs> into. Yeah, that's that's my point. Like, there's there's not a sea of motels that you could be like. There's no way we could find this needle in a haystack. And like, there's not enough traffic that someone yeah, yeah. like later on in this episode. There's this you know cars and stuff, but like they just sort of accidentally run across him. Anyone that wanted to know where he's going <laughs> could follow yeah. him pretty easily. We'll say, yeah, they accidentally run across him on the road, but that for a town like this, that actually rings true, too. Right, know? no, 100%. Right, yeah. Right. yeah. Which then says, yeah, disappearing in this town to a place that nobody knows where you are seems a bit far-fetched. But he says that, so he's like, just take me to my car and then don't watch where I go, I guess, is what he says. <laughs> he does. And then Donna goes home to where her father is, and then the, the, her father, Harold, wants to know, like, what what's this... Uh, what do you got going on with George? He and wants to like, know if like, they're lovers, David. <laughs> is is there is there anything between you? You mean are George and I lovers? If you're trying to hurt me, Donna, you're doing an excellent job. Perhaps you should go to sleep. 
Dad. I'm sorry. I don't mean to hurt you the same as you really don't mean to hurt me. No, I haven't slept with George Longbow. We're friends, that's all. <laughs> I just... I love old-fashioned TV. Like... What what child doesn't want to be asked by their parent if they're such <laughs> if they're lovers with so and so? Are you Disney like fingering in that picture? <laughs> I feel like even like the eighties, like it feels more chaste, but then also sex is also all over the place too. And then right, like every like anytime anyone's in a relationship, they're having sex too. They just don't really like advertise that but they're still doing because they always talk about like are you lovers are you sleeping with him whatever i don't know like you just don't see a lot of the sex but they talk about it a lot of they them. should show jessica banging more <laughs> i agree I, know. I mean yeah i mean i'm not i'm not arguing i mean she's not married she's a randy minx let's be clear here <laughs> randy like minx. widowed i think I suspicious oh <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. um. This show also has this weird vibe where, like, it's set in the present day, but also you could squint and it could be set in, like, 1952, and it would be hard to be disputed of that notion. I don't know. Do we... Does she ride her bike at all in this episode? She does. does. Okay. I mean, we could... I I guess I could say now, when, when she's... That the show, I guess, made a specific point, although I don't know the exact reason... That she does not drive in the show or basically cannot drive or doesn't have her license. Maybe she's just too old to drive. That would be great. I kind of doubt they would admit that. And right. old people don't give up their license. Yeah, God, um, no, no. They but, should. But that would make me respect her so much. But apparently they very much make a point that she does not drive. And like the show makes the point that she does not drive. And the reason the writers put that on her was that so that she could get chauffeured around which then causes more character interactions between her and other people in the town or amongst whatever's going on around the murder so she can just casually talk to them and then gain more information and just from a like from a writing perspective like yeah Holmes has Watson because he needs someone to talk to because you're reading a story and you Mm -hmm. can't just be inside the character's head the whole time and it's to say, you know, rather than coming up with, like, one contrivance after another for why she, like, runs into this person or rides in the car with this person, mm-hmm. just, she never she never drives. Yeah. So then... She's going a long distance, she's going to get in the car with someone else. And, of course, no and one's going to refuse a ride to her, right? Right, to this kindly old lady who's famous. Exactly. Yeah. Anyways, so that's apparently the reason for the bicycle as well. And also, it's a very old lady thing to do. Um, <laughs> so nice. For, for this scene, I guess all we learn is that, yeah, she and George, like, studied together, but they didn't study each other's body together, I guess. I <laughs> it's know. a lot of red herring stuff. She's just not going to tell her dad that. Yeah, I know. There's, But then things get weird at the end, too, so maybe you may have right. more onto it than that. I don't know. I, I wanted her to be like, yes, Dad, he plowed me like no one's yeah, plowed me before. <laughs> She's like, you mean, like, in the front door or back door? <laughs> Are you lovers? Like butt lovers yeah, or yeah. we'll call it lovers. Regular He's lovers. Never been in the pussy dad. It's always been <laughs> I'm saving that for marriage. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm trying to think of like revolutionary analogies and I just <laughs> I don't have any. Mm-hmm. Uh 
So then we go to uh, Jessica Fletcher, who is just walking around the sidewalk, I guess, you know, doing her mall walking outside. And then uh, she comes upon Helen, who was uh, Addison, the drunkard's wife. And he she's talking to Atwater, the real estate developer, but Atwater's leaving at the time. And then, you know, Jessica says hi to her, but then she trips and falls. So then Jessica Fletcher helps her into her house and sits her down to help her out and then has to go into her kitchen to, like, get her some tea or something. And then notices that the kitchen has, like, the chairs being, like, revarnished and there seems to be some remodeling going on. There's also pink apples on the wall, which I just couldn't not see for whatever reason seem so, some red herring decor yeah there's <laughs> only apples. a bit red herring for me i'm like pink apples that doesn't seem right it does take <laughs> you back and jessica also notices that helen is bruised to shit on her forearm when she helps her up and earlier with addison at town hall she was being yelled at by her drunkard husband so you can tell with jessica's slightly concerned eyebrow art <laughs> yeah yeah that we're going to have a... Not like, enough to speak out, you know. You're not enough to actually, like, get help or anything. But she yeah, she does have right. a concerned eyebrow. And then she, cause then she gets the tea from the remodeled kitchen and then notices the black eye that Helen has as well. And she says, oh, you know, it's from crying, I think she says, because everyone's on edge since this, quote, Indian showed up. Yeah, and then I think we're supposed to mean somebody else is on edge about this and perhaps is taking it out on her. But, um... She then says, well, the remod- the kitchen remodel looks good. And so it looks like Addison's helping out with that. And she's like, no, he's more of a dreamer and isn't helping out, which I don't know. That all seems weird. But uh, as she talks with her with Helen, we learn that Addison bought prop- beachfront property and that that property is going to get sold to this real estate developer at water for a big like resort or something. And so finally, this, you know, poor family is going to hit it rich with this sold property. But that's assuming that Longbow's claim to own all of this doesn't mess everything up. Mm -hmm. And then at the police station, we uh, learn. uh, Yeah, I'm trying to think because Jessica Fletcher's there, too. I forget why she goes to the police station now. But anyways. She's there, and we learn that Professor Crenshaw had skipped town just an hour ago for whatever reason, and we don't know why he left. And then they get a call that there's a doings a transpiring at the town <laughs> hall. So they all have to leave for the town hall. And of course, you know, their local busybody is going to go along as well. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. It's just the mayor, the that. sheriff, and the doctor, and you're like, yeah, they should go. Like, But of course, our local busybody will accompany them. I think this is also where the mayor says that, you know, the town is looking for somebody to do something, and he's the man to do it. He just has to figure out what it is. You know? Are there any developments? Mm, nothing to cheer about. Professor Crenshaw left town about an hour ago. He left town? Yeah. His daughter called a few minutes ago, says he got a call from Norman Edmonds, got all excited and was gone in a flash. Uh, what I want to know is, is this professor fellow on our side or isn't he? And if he isn't, well, he was your idea, Jessica. Oh, now, just a moment. Me too, Sam. Now, just calm your tail feathers. Hysteria is not the solution. Well, all I know is folks are expecting me to do something, and I'm going to do it. As soon as I figure out what it is I'm supposed to do. Which uh, is self-aware, at least. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) 
That's a start. I think this is also where Jessica debuts her my favorite outfit in this of hers, which is a full on Canadian tuxedo. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. She's yeah, she rocking like the, yeah, the jean jacket. And yeah, that's a, she, I, th- right. I think she's pulling it off pretty well. Yeah, her, her, Brandon, her and Brandon Wall shop at the same store. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> is it Lane Bryant? <laughs> so then they all go to find out what's going on at Town Hall. And what should they find but a dead body? Finally. I know. It is somewhat. <laughs> impressive slash odd that we're like 35 ish minutes into this episode of murder she wrote Mm. before someone actually gets murdered well i feel like the show can get away with it because you know it's going to happen so you're like i suppose waiting like the first half is just you trying to figure out who's the one who's going to end up murdered but you know a murder's happening it's not like this i mean disappoint plus you know it's going to happen because you saw that here's what's going to happen in this episode at the beginning of the episode so it's yeah, so it's Addison Langley and he's in the middle of the town hall floor with the spear in his chest. And everyone looks a bit concerned but fairly nonplussed at the same time, right? They're like, "Eh, yeah, I guess it's about that time another person gets murdered." <laughs> ever ever throughout this whole sequence, everyone is just very genteel about the whole yeah, situation. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like they're not happy about <laughs> it, but they're also like, "Yeah, yeah, all right, let's I guess this is what happens. There must be like Valium in the water. Yeah. Everyone's <laughs> yeah, chill. Probably. It's the perfect town. So uh, in the next scene, we got reporters who are pointing fingers at Aspie George Longbow. Jessica, of course, is inside town hall and she's inspecting the scene, I guess, because they're just letting her just mill about this what? Crime scene. And, and apparently like... There's no coroner or anything like yeah, that. No, they're just like not even like caution tape or anything. Like, like the <laughs> local country doctor is the one that determines yeah. time of death and all of that. Yeah, You're exactly. like, is this is this like is the town so small that like the same guy who prescribes your kids eardrops for their ear infection, the guy that checks out all these murder victims and mm-hmm. determines when they died? No, you're right. You're. <laughs> I don't know. Like, and they just yeah, they give. Jessica Fletcher free reign as well. It's not like they don't have enough work for a full time coroner. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Jessica Fletcher finds that there's a lot of sand on on the body and around the scene. In and a beachfront doctor- town, no. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> and then the doctor notes that the body must have been placed in town hall because there's not enough blood for the murder to have actually happened there. And then someone's been reading Jessica Fletcher's novels. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) And then Jessica notes that it seems it just doesn't seem very smart to leave a dead body out in the open if you're the murderer. So she's confused about why someone would just display a dead body and not like make any attempt to cover it up or or specifically make an attempt not to cover it up. Right. And or um, kill the body with the implement you were seen <laughs> hurling through the air yeah. and not take the implement with you when you fled the scene. I mean, I mean, I guess to the, sh- to this episode's credit, like a lot of the townsfolk are like, it's obviously George Longbow. And, but Jessica Fletcher's always like, he's not that nothing about him. has shown that he's right. that stupid. Right. Like, so it's not him because this is too stupid for him to do. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He cracked the, through Jessica. 
Yeah. The show isn't trying to suggest that this is a real possibility. Yeah, it just yeah. inadvertently suggests that the town is filled with fucking morons I mean, that and, they yeah. buy into it so readily. That rings true. And uh, the only other thing we find out is that on the dead body, there is varnish on his hand. Oh, that might be is, important later. Yeah, they, they casually say, but it's almost like a clue. Uh, <laughs> so we go outside the bank of Cabot Cove. Where there are clearly marked diagonal lines for parking. <laughs> <laughs> Yet everyone is just parking parallel to the street, ignoring the clearly marked parking spaces that are there, which just bothered me for whatever it was. No, I totally, I, I wrote it down too, David. Like, the, the mortgage guy parks across, like, three fucking yeah, parking spots. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then, yeah, both of them. It's a town full of seniors, so I, I believe it. <laughs> it is true. It is true. It is a town full of seniors, so maybe that's what we're learning. Uh, uh, Jessica's basically noting that uh, Addison Langley had valuable property that's now in the hands of Helm, but can be more easily sold. I guess maybe because she's more easily duped or she's willing to sell the land for less. I don't know. I but think that that's be- the idea, that she'll just like sell it. Yeah, that can be more easily sold sold to the uh, land or the real estate agent. And, of course, framing George Longbow would also get him out of the way of all this, like, ownership. So there's a lot of people who who would profit from the death of Langley and the arrest of George Longbow. I always want to say Strongbow, like the uh, (laughs) The cider. cider, So it's going to happen at one point. so then, but then Atwater, who's the uh, de- real estate developer, is outside the bank. So Jessica talks to him and he's like, oh, it's a pleasure to meet you. And then as they're talking, she basically just says, I saw you talking with Helen and you've got a lot of money to be made from uh, this death and the arrest of George Longbow. And so then he says, Mrs. Fletcher. When I said that it was a pleasure meeting you, it is just possible that I spoke in haste. I love it. Way to say fuck you. (laughs) Everyone is so genteel. I know. (laughs) I do believe I regret having made your acquaintance. (laughs) That is a Jessica fuck you. (laughs) He admits that all this murder is actually beneficial to him, and he's not really sad about it. But then he also claims he has nothing. He. He's done nothing wrong or isn't involved in it either. So just a true callous businessman is what he's saying. Uh, We then go to the open road where some townies headed by Tom Carpenter, who's the sister of Helen, who is the wife of the deceased. Uh, Tom and a bunch of townies find George on the road and chase him down. And then he gets out of the car and they chase him through the woods and then he falls, and that's where they catch up with him. And then Tom declares that, quote, Big Chief is in a heap of trouble. And this is where I'm like, is this going to be our second on-screen lynching, David? <laughs> right. I mean, it it's almost pretty is. pretty damn close, gets, right? It's pretty lynchy here. Yeah, yeah. Think yeah. about it's it. It's pretty upsetting. And frankly, the show doesn't frame this bad enough. I mean, it doesn't necessarily frame no. it in a good light, but I mean, this right. is pretty terrible stuff that's happening here, and they don't really hammer it home either. Um, yeah, nary was... an eyebrow raise from Jessica. She kind of expects it. I guess she knows her town. So then Jessica's walking the neighborhood again and comes across Edmonds the banker, 
And Edmonds admits that his worries about all the mortgages are gone now that Longbow is the murderer. She questions him about the fact that Professor Crenshaw had left town immediately after talking to him. And this is where he admits to offering Crenshaw $50,000 if he could supply proof that George is a fraud. Then, so then Jessica's like, oh, this is another piece of the puzzle, maybe? Or we're trying to get information. But this is, then we see the truck that had chased down Longbow now driving by the two with the townies in the back, the bed of the truck, like parading the beat up George Longbow around town. As I quote, like I said, at, or as I noted, like a lynch mob at this point, right? Yeah, like, right. They were like showing off the town. Here's the dark skinned person we got that we're about to murder. who We just assume is a part of this crime because it couldn't be an upstanding white person. Right? I, I do love how Jessica's approach to investigation is to seemingly just take laps around the town. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> she just walks and then runs into people, and then she's too unassuming for them not to just tell her everything. And, and I'm sure we don't see the instances where she talks to the people that don't have anything to say about the <laughs> yeah, crime. Well. Like, it's just a, you know, she casts a net and takes in all this information, and then mm. we just observe the, the relevant pieces, but she's just like, stuck on a case, time to take a lap around the town. Yeah, just start walking the just sidewalk. see who comes across my path and what information they might pass along to me that later becomes relevant. <laughs> but yeah, so they haul they haul George Longbow into the station yeah, and the sheriff and the sheriff's like Jessica shows up pretty quickly after that with Edmonds. I guess Edmonds had to drive her and or I think yeah, anyways. Or no, yeah. I think she just shows up. It doesn't matter. She's not approving of this, but yeah, they haul the guy in there, right? And the sheriff's like Mm, I don't like your style, but I mean, thanks for capturing him for me. He's, yeah, he's the murderer after like all. You could have brought him in better condition. Like he's disapproving, but in a kind of like when your kid, you know, scratches your car kind of way. Like, right. right. Uh, I'm glad you got my car, but next time don't scratch it, you know, but whatever. It, right. And, and, no, Leave the gas. Much. Leave the gas tank full next time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you guys are scamps because you only beat him up a little bit. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he's only bleeding through his nose and mouth, but whatever. It is. Because it looks pretty brutal. And then they and and we should also note, despite the fact that there being a very prominent doctor in this episode, they never call him to like look up on George or anything. They they don't even like oh, attempt yeah. to bandage any of his wounds they just like throw him in the jail and he could just sit in the bed bloodied yeah he he committed a murder in a very obviously staged way david he doesn't <laughs> deserve a, ba- uh, a bag of peas for his swollen uh, eye no uh, treatment so then uh, the sheriff is like because they the people claim that oh no he just fell down and that's how you get injured and the sheriff's like is that how it happened george and george won't say anything so then he's like all right put him in jail this is also the scene there's reporters gathered outside of yeah, the, yeah, yeah, the yeah. jail or whatever, <laughs> yeah. and and twice we hear the reporters yell out, "We're on a deadline!" <laughs> like they're they're <laughs> well, clamoring point, for as they're like parading him in the back, the bed of the truck. One of the porters like, "Lift him up so I can get a better shot." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Do you think all those reporters just also say it's a sleazy motel and are just covering murder after murder? And I mean, I, there's, I think there's no other way to interpret this. I think right. that's why right. they have jobs and are in this sleepy town is because too many murders happen and they they got to get out their stories. The, the, the Sunday papers expect the weekly murder in Cabot Cove. <laughs> 
article. And, you if know. it bleeds, it leads, baby. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so then after they put George in jail, uh, Tom Carpenter shows up suspiciously later. Uh, and he re- he's returning George's uh, personal possessions, including a key to the motel, because he's not a thief. He's also, quote, returning the truck that uh so so not to be a traffic hazard or something i don't know anyways uh tom and the boys leave because they're heroes or something to them the next scene is the jail cell where jessica is talking to george and she's like she's she's claiming to be the only one who believes he's innocent but he has to cut the silent stoic act and so she just wants the truth so then george strongbo says that his plan was to get rent money from the town to have a Native American scholarship program. And he says that the uh, at the night of the murder, he was staying outside of the town at a motel known only to him. But that motel uh, office closes at like, earlier than when he arrived, so he doesn't really have an alibi. Wasn't there like a clerk there? I guess not. Apparently not. And I think at some point the sheriff talks about the motel saying that guy like goes to bed early and sleeps like a bear or hibernating or something. <laughs> Fair enough. I don't know how the sheriff knows that much information about this motel. It's guy, a small but... town and they've definitely yeah, slept together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I doubt it. Uh at this point, the uh, sheriff comes in to get Jessica because he says the mayor, he's on the way to the, or any, well, so he notes that uh, on the truck, there's a beach sand. So that's even dun, more dun, suspicious. Dun. In a coastal town? <laughs> <laughs> so, Yeah. Uh, the, the next scene is at the mayor's office, so we've all gathered there now, and, uh, Professor Crenshaw is back, and he now claims that he did some research, and George Longbow is a fraud, and the mayor's like, oh, so that whole, the deed is a fraud, or whatever, the land claim, and he said, no, no, that's all real, but he's not a real <laughs> descendant, because due to the 1918 flu epidemic, which hit Native Americans particularly hard, and I'm sure that's not a coincidence, and yeah. it certainly wasn't a result of systemic issues that no, not caused minorities to get less priority in healthcare and ignored. But uh, I'm sure it's just all coincidence that the flu hit the Native Americans harder. And But because of that, they're wiped out, and there are some tribes that like either adopted other tribes or something to that effect. Uh, but there's no way that George Longbow can be the direct lineage of this chief. And I was just like, huh? <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm not following the logic. Like, I think yeah. basically, I think, I think his logic is he was functionally adopted. So yeah. his claim is bogus. And I'm yeah, like, I don't that, think that works that way. He could only be through blood lines and not an adopted line. And I, yeah, I don't think that works at all. Despite yeah. the fact that this deed is a British document and who right. cares because you're the U.S., but yeah. They should have done the British thing for sure. I'm surprised everybody is such a royalist in Castle no, to go. <laughs> and that deed definitely belongs to somebody. So if it's not him, they, they could probably trace the lineage of who would inherit it at some point, you know? So right, right. Know. 
Things still be I don't common. think this is like the slam dunk they think it is, but I don't know. The show is just like case closed on this matter. That the end. No reparations. And then it's unclear. They never really, because they claim George Longbow's a fraud, but then it's unclear to me if he realizes that his lineage is in question. I don't know. Right. They don't really clarify. They, I think this is just them washing their hands of this particular piece. But uh, just... But then, but at the same time, Jessica Fletcher wonders if Crenshaw is a little biased because his he did get fifty thousand dollars to look into this and make find this evidence, but he claims that his credentials are not for sale. Is there a possibility that in your haste uh, you may be mistaken, Professor? I talked to Mr. Edmonds and he told me about his very generous offer to you. Offer? What offer, Mrs. Fletcher? $50,000 is a great deal of money for a man of my means, but I can assure you my credentials are not for sale. I guess that's the end of that. So. <laughs> yeah, we have nothing to go on but his word. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> because he says so. Strong as an oak or something, I don't know. <laughs> uh, Jessica and the sheriff oh, now decide to go search Longbow's motel room for more evidence. And they kind of, because Jessica's just like, let's go search the motel room. And I'm like, I thought you didn't know where you're staying. But they kind of brush over the fact that they now have the keys Tom brought back. I feel like they didn't really highlight that at all at this moment. Right. right. That's because but, it's too big of a clue. Yeah, yeah, probably. So then they find, so they go into the hotel room and part of me is like thinking they need a warrant for this, but I don't know. Uh, <laughs> That's not how the British do it, David. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> The Queen Mom doesn't need no stankin' warrants. Just remember, David, this is less about Jessica finding the killer as it is about exonerating George Longbow. So So she's not worried about about the... If the evidence doesn't hold up in court, she doesn't really care at this point. Which would be fine for her just to go there, but the sheriff being involved makes me raise an eye. Does he strike you as the kind of sheriff that worries a lot about warrants and due process? worry about the fact that one of the suspects just got beat up by vigilante justice. This is what I'm saying, yeah. It's a pretty Uh, laissez-faire retirement coastal town. Yeah, I guess that's true. Anyways... They find shoes in the motel that are covered in sand, but then Jessica notes that the soles are covered <laughs> in a beachfront community in a coastal <laughs> town. It's <laughs> also a bad frame job. If it, like, you think, like, like if I'm gonna like, oh, I need to get sand on these shoes. The first thing I'm doing is pressing the shoes into the sand, right? Like right. pressing the soles into the sand. I probably wouldn't even worry about like dumping like sand on top of the shoes. That just seems silly. Like. How often do you get sand all over the top of your shoes? Unless, I, I mean, it'd be, it, it, it's basically like setting a murder in Minnesota and then trying to frame them by like dragging snow inside the house. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then it's also unclear if these shoes actually belong to Longbow or not. But I don't know. It doesn't matter. It doesn't. I think we'll they do, but you're right. Yes. It doesn't really matter. Sure. Because they don't, I don't know, because when we go through the timeline, getting the shoes, and then they make it sound like, I don't know. That yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Anyways, uh, so Jessica's like, I think I've got things pieced together, but we need to fill in the gaps, but I know where to go. So we end up at Helen's house, who is the wife of the deceased, just to keep everyone on the same page, and Tom, the brother of Helen, is there, and then... Jessica and the sheriff show up and uh, 
Tom's like, what's going on here? And Jessica basically suggests that uh, Tom is framing George Longbow. And he's like, I would never kill anybody. But he's like, yeah, but you would protect your sister. (gasps) And see, Jessica knows that uh, Tom is framing him because there's no sand on the soles of the shoes. So it's not really Longbow. But the only person who could know where the motel was was Tom, since he's the one who grabbed the possessions from him after they beat him up in in the uh, lynch mob. And... Because among his possessions was the key to the motel, and he was also late to the police office, unlike the rest of his posse. So she deduced that he found the motel key, and as they brought him and paraded Longbow around town as their, you know, trophy or whatever, he (laughs) went to the beach, covered the shoes in sand, then went to the motel, put the shoes in the motel, and then drove uh, back to to and then to the police station but that also got the sand on the truck and not just the fact that they're in a beach town and everything would have sound and sand on it right 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 because <laughs> it would sand is coarse and it gets everywhere mm-hmm. so jessica basically says so we know you framed him but then there's the question of why and so then jessica notes that helen's kitchen has been freshly varnished and there's varnish on Addison Langley's hand. So, this all causes Helen to finally confess that, yes, Addison did she come home. She folds pretty night. quickly. I know, but yeah. there's the fact that, like, the, time, the clock is ticking. Even necessary. Yeah, I know. <laughs> well, I mean, I think she's like, yeah, I did it, but, it, you know, I, I did it for a reason. Because she yeah. said Addison came home drunk and he, the reason there was sand all over him was because, not because it's just a beach town, but he was at the beach looking for George Longbow, apparently. But upon not finding him, but him wanting somebody to hit, he came home and hit her instead. Right. And so then, in defense of herself, she stabbed him in the heart. And then in a panic, called Tom, who and then Tom showed up and decided to bring the body to the town hall. And then since he knew that Longbow and Addison got in a scuffle earlier in the day. He 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 could frame Longbow and thus grab the spear that was still at Town Hall. It seems like it'd be a valuable spear if it was an original Algonquin spear. Yeah, but I guess they just kind of like, left it. I have a lot of questions about why the spear was still there. <laughs> so he grabbed that spear and drove it into the chest, thus fooling the doctor into thinking the spear was the cause of death, not the actual knife wound. That the spear wound was... I'll say again, this might have been avoided if they had a proper coroner. Right. That's not a very thorough... (laughs) Yes, exactly. If they did a proper examination, you'd hope they could figure this out. And also, I'm... We don't know what happens to Helen, because I'm very sympathetic to her, obviously. Right. I feel like the murder was a justified self-defense... However, I don't know how to feel about then using the town's racism as a shield and framing somebody else and possibly <laughs> sending an innocent man to jail for life. I'm less sympathetic to, so. Right. I don't know. I, I mean, if they framed the banker or the real estate guy, I'd probably just be totally on board with the Let's whole thing. Let's do that, guys. Let's do that. <laughs> Jessica should just frame the real estate mogul right now. So I don't know. And I don't even know. Is there. It feels like 
framing somebody for murder, even if the murder is justified, feels like a crime in and of itself. But I have no idea what the legal ease to that is. That'd be cool if it's oh, not like, illegal. Then we could right. do it. <laughs> like, like in addition to the murder, there's yeah. an additional crime involved in the whole like framing someone else for yeah. Yeah, maybe it's just obstruction of justice. I guess I don't know what the legal. Eh, that might be what it is. Is there something illegal about framing somebody else? Like even if you're like she's exonerated on the murder, but is the frame job a crime right. in and of itself? Right. Like I said, I'd be less sympathetic. I'd be more sympathetic to the frame job if it was like the banker, the real estate guy. But since it's this George Longbow is probably had enough to deal with in his life, I'm right. I'm not feeling it. I'm not feeling the framing of him. <laughs> but uh, uh, so that's how we know she confesses, and that's a wrap on that. So the next scene is we're all at uh, maybe the mayor's office, I think it is. But uh, mm-hmm. everyone seems in a jovial mood because the company Atkins, that real estate guy, works for, has decided not to build in Cabot Cove because of the murder made them give, gave them second pause. And I'm like, maybe you should have checked the murder rate of this town ahead of time. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely wasn't going to be the first or last. They... To... Season four. How could they not know. know? Yeah, I know. I like, yeah, this shouldn't have been a surprise to this company, but everyone seems very happy about this development for some reason, but I'm not sure why. Like, they right. can make it like a murder themed spooky retreat at this point. Just yeah, go over exactly. the many victims. Yeah, leads, like yeah. steer into the skid and like yeah. right, capitalize right, right. on it. That's money, baby. That's business. I should be a real estate mogul. So the scene seems to suggest everyone was against this development, though we were never shown or told that ever before this scene. But uh, Jessica then tells George Strongbow that the townspeople really want to support the scholarship for Native Americans. So there's a little deus ex machina for that. (laughs) Although that does sound like affirmative action or reparations. So woke Cabot Cove strikes again, you know. (laughs) That does sound like the Cabot Cove members that I met that were given much screen time. Maybe it's Jess's tea circle that is the woke brigade that David hates yeah, so yeah, much. exactly. <laughs> uh, so then Harold Crenshaw shows up and he wants to take both Donna and George to lunch. And so now they're going to, quote, negotiate a peace treaty. And I don't understand this part of the scene at all. (laughs) Because, like, at the start of it, Jessica's like, so what are you two going to be up to? Like, they're together and going to be hanging out And they're like, butt stuff. Yeah, and I'm like, are they a couple now? Were they a couple? I'm so confused right now. (laughs) Because the implication was they were just kind of like he, like, more or less came to her just to help him with some research. And then Mm -hmm. she declared that they were not together or lovers. And I'm like... But now they're together. I don't know. Now they're like, they have to make plans together, even though they're not lovers. Are they planning to be lovers? None of this is spelled out. I don't know. I don't know the whole anything. She's this. she's going to smoke George's peace pipe. Oh, <laughs> wouldn't that be good? Uh, sexy racism. I love it. <laughs> he brought it back. Wouldn't that be good if she was his alibi and they were up finger banging all night? <laughs> They had to come say that. But, but I, then, mean, I love how, like, yeah. this whole ending is a bunch of, like, casual racist jokes. Like, there's the whole peace mm-hmm. treaty thing, which mm-hmm. feels like an intentional bit of wording. And then they're like, you know, oh, Jessica, are you sure you aren't part of Algonquin? And yes, she's like, bitch, you see how white I am? Yeah, I know. <laughs> 
Oh, by the way, George, I've spoken to some of my friends, and you know your plan for a scholarship fund for worthy young American Indians has a lot of support in this town. In fact, we've already formed a committee to get it underway. Mrs. Fletcher, are you sure you're not part Algonquin? <laughs> oh, this, this complexion, I very much doubt it. But if I were, I'd be very proud of it. I could not be whiter. I'm European. Right? Yeah. But you just know from here on out, from here on out, she's just going to be like, I'm part Indian. Yeah. <laughs> I had a little Indian inside me at the hotel. <laughs> she's going to, she's going full Zach Morris from this point forward. Yeah. That would be great if she went full headdress. God, who is more, scaring. who is more white? Jessica Fletcher or Zach Morris? Well, Mark Paul Gosler is like mixed. I didn't ask about Mark Paul Gosler. (laughs) (laughs) I'm asking about the fictional character Zach Morris. Got it. Okay, that's a distinction. Jessica Mm -hmm. Fletcher, I think, is more. Probably Jessica Fletcher, yeah. You've got the whole English accent thing going. That's true. That's true. England is like the dad of America and our racism. Or the mother. (laughs) So, but it's close. They're very white. Happy Thanksgiving. So I'm also confused about this quote negotiating a peace treaty because it makes it sound like there's more friction between Harold and George than I previously Right. Yeah, because he's banging his daughter and he doesn't like him. And yeah, now... But, but he didn't have much of an interaction between those two as to, like, George even realizing Harold didn't like him. I don't know. The whole thing was weird. Right. They just put all the conflict of Longbow's acrimony against the town right on this like right. finger banging situation because it's got to <laughs> come to a head right here and the dad's just like P.S. I'm definitely cool with whatever you're doing yeah, in yeah. that TP. <laughs> uh, all right then before we get completely canceled we'll get to the final little bit which is where Jessica's getting in the car with the doctor and then she's wondering Stop Hasbro I've been meaning to ask you a question Everyone else was terrified that they were going to lose their homes. Why were you as calm as a mountain lake? Well, I'm much too old to get caught up in that sort of mass hysteria. Besides, I rent. (laughs) What is the real estate like there if its doctor has to rent? (laughs) I know, right? Coastal towns, though they are not cheap. And this, so this TV show about you know <laughs> the seedy side of humanity and murders and humans' darker natures always has to end on a joke and a freeze frame with somebody smiling and a little laugh. Freeze frame. And I guess it shows the sociopathy of Jessica Fletcher a little. Like, <laughs> once, she, once she solves it, she does not give a fuck about it, the death or mourns the death nope. at all. She is in it for the the yeah. hunt mm-hmm. and once the hunt is over she's moved on so yeah the show ends with a lot of freeze frames on her smiling after something silly happens i like it you know however many murders <laughs> there are it doesn't mean we're going to be bummed out we're going to yeah, go to the exactly. yarn no, store people die every day you don't see me crying over it right murder <laughs> at the yarn store fun <laughs> yay mm-hmm. uh, so austin what do you think of this episode um, I mean, it was more Thanksgiving-y than Ryan's <laughs> Christmas episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
uh, thematically at least, right? Like, yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, there's there's more to there's more Native Americans in Thanksgiving than there are robot <laughs> slave children in Christmas. Um, <laughs> that was the best. Ooga booga. <laughs> or moose people. <laughs> or moose people to Christmas. I don't know. Um, yeah, no, I, it was it was a a, a delightful, slightly racist romp. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Carolyn, you have anything to add to that? Well, let's see. I guess I firstly want to say all the Indian jokes at the end here gave me some reservations. <laughs> <laughs> Where's my money? Um, you know what? You know what's worse? Yeah. You know what, mm. So puns. Mm. I all right. So <laughs> I've always said, yeah, that the lowest form of humor is puns. Sure. People say and that. And now I realize that there's a lower form yeah. of humor. <laughs> Racist puns. <laughs> I'm glad to have got us all the way to the flesh noise of society. And I um, think I just have to go walk into the lake. And <laughs> Bye. Um, you'll be just like the Land of Lakes lady when you do. <laughs> Oh. Indians, I know. So this was a very special episode. I enjoy the cozy core murder. It's just it's a cool <laughs> vibe. I would love to retire and murder in a coastal town with a bikeable community. Uh, this handled the the Native American stuff pretty well, especially with as far as the opening had me concerned. There <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> right. The opening set the bar very low, and then suddenly <laughs> yeah. they're like, oh, which is which is great. It's a great way to do it. Yeah. Make me scared, I, and then I can slowly unclench by the time there's a spear mm-hmm. murder. Um, glad yeah. the wife beater died. It's too bad that the lady was going to frame a Native American. Yeah, yeah. Uh, ultimately, it was a good romp. I learned some things. I'm not sure I learned that much, but... At least, you know, there wasn't an on-screen cross-burning this time. We should probably <laughs> limit those. I feel like I, I need to come up with, I need to kick off our, our Christmas coverage with a uh, uh, <laughs> vaguely racist Christmas episode to keep this stealth fee we've stumbled into going. Yeah. It's time, Austin. Please do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think. The opening scene had me really worried. I mean, at least this is like a <laughs> 1980s attempt at being a little woke, I guess, for lack of a better term, where like they're they're trying to portray the Native American as at least more justified and you know speak a little to the uh, issues that have that the uh, Native tribes have dealt with. I mean, it's not it's certainly quite inelegant at times, but I guess as we said. They at least framed most of the racism as racism, as as opposed to just like humor or whatever, till the end. So, and then as a mystery, it was fine. Like I said, I appreciate that the show can do a mystery every episode, and I feel like that isn't easy. right. Always fine. fine. As, like as a mystery, it was fine. Like not yeah. the most in depth or like clever, but you know. You I know. mean, yeah, I'm serious. That the sand was a really weak clue. <laughs> really weak. It's so weak. It's like, this person had leaves on them. <laughs> no fucking shit. But, but murders are consistent with the sand, that it was a clue and that it had to come from someone. So it was like, all within, even though in the real world that stupid sand would be everywhere, at least it they would. were like, no, this is own Apparently in this sleepy little town, sand can only get some places if someone directly goes to the beach and walks back. And only people do that only certain times. 
and very rarely, so you know. This is midnight murder sand. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, this sand's <laughs> dark, so it must have been mid tracked at midnight <laughs> when the sun was down. Uh, Carolyn, where can people find you online? You can find me at Twitter at Carolyn Main. Oh shoot, maybe not. <laughs> Stand by. Episode comes out at first. Four oh four, not found. Good. Mastodon I don't know yeah. 404 stay posted but I am Carolyn Main C-A-R-O-L-Y-N-M-A-I-N like the street you can check out my card game Pitch Please at pitchplease.fun find me on Twitter maybe you can email me and I'm around for now on the internet <laughs> Austin uh, you can find me on Twitter, question mark, question mark. Uh, at Austin Gordon, or find me on Mastodon at Austin Gordon. Oh, he's uh, there. Wow. I'm there. Same same name. I think that's all you really need to find me. I'm still okay. figuring Mastodon out, but I think it, if you type Austin scary. Gordon one word into the search bar up at the top, that'll take you to me. Um, okay. Yeah. But then, yeah, uh, realgentlemanofleisure.com, that's, that's still around. And, hey, maybe we're about to enter into the, the second golden age of blogging because Twitter oh. is going to go away. And to that I say, second age, some of us never left. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be honest. True. If Elon Musk wants to buy the realgentlemanofleisure.com. <laughs> Or even just a billion, I think we'd take it. I mean, I, we, I the the fifty k number got thrown around this episode. I mean, that you sounds think good. You heard that? Yeah, oh. maybe I'll tweet it. See if he picks up on it. Okay. Uh, I hope yeah, you guys, get hard. Other, otherwise, uh, yeah, I'm I'm all over I'm all over the the various pop culture internet places. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna try in light of Twitter's imminent demise to. Make Real Gentlemen of Leisure more of a hub for some of that stuff. So keep an eye on that, and, and you can follow my writing from there. And you can find me maybe on Twitter if it exists, at Dr. Bits. And hopefully I'm not spouting racism, so that's... <laughs> yeah. I mean, now would be the time to do it, though. <laughs> Everyone say a word, quick. Say. <laughs> no, I'm not no. going to say any. No. Uh, <laughs> And at therealdentimentofleisure.com, where maybe I'll blog eventually someday again. We'll see. Uh, we are a very special episode podcast. You can rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and Podbean, if they all exist still. Uh, you can follow <laughs> us on possibly Twitter, a- at AVSE Pod, uh, and our Facebook page. You can go there and comment. And Yeah, oh, Facebook, ain't, Facebook ain't going anywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And you can tell us uh, how insensitive we've been this episode. Yeah. Uh, you can also do that via email at avsepodcast at gmail.com. For a very special episode podcast, I am David, and I am off to beat some racists up with a briefcase. That was a very special episode. We dissected that shit from head to toe. Did the time fly by or was it slow? Got so many life lessons. Oh, how we've grown. Seen so much TV that we're gonna explode next time on a very special episode. Thank you.
as old as time True as it can be Barely even friends Then somebody bends Unexpectedly Just a little change Small to say the least Both a little scared Neither one prepared Beauty and the beast Ever just the same Ever a surprise <laughs> Ever as before Ever just as sure As the sun will rise Tale as old as time Tune as old as song Bittersweet and strange Finding you can change Learning you were wrong Certain as the sun Rising in the east Tale as old as time Song as old as rhyme Beauty and the beast As old as time, song as old as rhyme, beauty and the beast. After the cupboard with you now, Chip. It's past your bedtime. Good night, love. Sixty minutes will be coming up following football, followed by murder, she wrote. We would have bets on how long it's going to be between murder and she. And it got longer and longer. Then it's murder, she wrote, starring Angela Lansbury. So we're doing a game, and uh, there's a movie uh, following the football. Followed by part one of a CBS Sunday night movie, Gone with the Wind. Starring Clark Gable and Vivian Lee. All coming. I laughed so hard, I had to take my headset off and go out in the hallway.